The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... We talk a lot about DNA and how it can help solve even the coldest cases. But DNA can also set an innocent person free after circumstances and false confessions land him or her behind prison walls. On January 20th, 1988, a man was arrested in connection to the crimes committed by the Southside Strangler. And with his arrest and DNA sample came the exoneration of a man who had been behind bars for a handful of years. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. On January 23rd, 1983, sometime after 10 p.m., a man broke into the Arlington, Virginia home of 32-year-old Carolyn Jean Hamm and brutally raped and killed her. When she failed to show up at work the next few days, her worried secretary called a woman named Darla Henry, Carolyn's closest friend, and asked if she knew anything about her sudden absence from work. Worried, Darla went to visit Carolyn and, upon seeing her door ajar, called over to a man who was within earshot and asked if he would accompany her inside. What they saw was the nude, bound, and beaten body of Carolyn Ham, who had been hanged to death. Before police could really get their investigation underway, a woman named Muriel Ranzer, the sister of the man who accompanied Darla inside of Carolyn's home, called over to the station and said that she saw a man named David Vasquez in the neighborhood the day of the murder. She said that David, whom she had known for several years, was a, quote, creepy guy, who she caught a few times ogling Carolyn as she sunbathed in her yard. The next day, January 30th, police received another call from a man named Michael Ansari, who said he saw a man in the neighborhood just after the discovery of Carolyn's body, who, unlike everyone else living nearby, was strangely uninterested in what was happening to Carolyn Ham. His name? David Vasquez. By this point, police could not ignore two calls naming the same suspect, so they took a look into his records to see if they could find anything that stood out. David Vasquez, then 38 years old, was a former Arlington High School janitor who moved several years before the murder to Manassas, Virginia, about 30 miles away, lived with his mother, worked at a fast food restaurant, and had an IQ of less than 70. Needing to speak with him about the murder, police picked him up for questioning on February 4th. Over the next several hours, Arlington County detectives Robert H. Carrig and Charles Shelton interrogated David, who, in the beginning, insisted he had not been in Arlington the night of the crime. However, that story started to change when Robert and Charles told him that they found his fingerprints at the scene of the crime, saying, quote, maybe I might have gone there for a visit. Now, the thing was, David's fingerprints were not actually at the scene at all. 
this was a complete fabrication on the parts of the detectives who hoped their little white lie would make David confess to a crime that they were certain he committed, which is exactly what he did. At first, he started by saying that he and Carolyn had sex the day she was murdered. Then, when asked what he used to bind her, he responded, the ropes. This was inaccurate. Her hands had been bound with the cords of a Venetian blind, but for one reason or another, the detectives persisted. Charles told David that it wasn't ropes, to which he changed it to a belt, and was once again told that was incorrect. The third time he was asked, David said, quote, a coat hanger? And Charles responded, no, it wasn't a coat hanger. Remember cutting the Venetian blind cord? From an outside perspective, David was clearly not a suspect. Between not knowing the details of the crime to not even being able to tell police how he got to Arlington, he did not drive and his mother was at work. There seemed to be no way he could remain a suspect. Yet, David remained on the top of their list. On February 6th, after realizing they failed to give him his Miranda warning, Robert and Charles took David back into the interrogation room where he insisted he had not been in Arlington in the last few months, let alone when Carolyn was killed. 50 minutes of interrogation later, Robert left the room, taking the tape recorder with him, and Charles was left alone with his number one suspect. After some small talk, according to Charles Shelton, David Vasquez dropped his head and started talking about his terrible dreams. Securing a tape recorder before he could go any further, David continued, quote, I got myself in hell by breaking glass. The dryer was hooked up, cut my hand in glass. I need help. Then I went upstairs. She kept coming out. She startled me. I startled her. We both kind of screamed a little bit. She told me what was I doing. I said I came over to see you. She wanted to make love. She said yes and no and then said okay and we went upstairs to her bedroom. Kissed a little and then took each other's clothes off. She told me would I tie her hands. She said there's a knife in the kitchen. Cutting string off the blinds, just tie me. Then I asked her if it's too tight. She said no. Walked downstairs, took her pictures. She's nice. She said tie me some more. I brought some big rope, and she told me the other way. I says, what way is that? She says, by hanging. I says, no, don't have to hang. No, 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 no. She said yes, and called me a chicken. So I did it. I don't want my dream anymore. That dream, too much. With that, David's fate was sealed, and he was charged with the murder, rape, and burglary. Realizing what happened during those interrogations, David's lawyers in the months leading up to the trial attempted to suppress the record statements on the grounds that they had not been voluntary. The judge agreed for the first two recordings, but shortly after the second statement, David was asked to make a third where he reiterated his dream and cleared up some details. And this one, because he waived his Miranda rights, could be used in the trial. The dream story and the testimonies of Muriel Ranzer and Michael Ansari were really all the evidence they had against David Vasquez. But even those testimonies were being called into question. Muriel's call to police only came in after her brother was questioned twice as a suspect. And Michael's statement seemed off because somehow he was the only one who saw David the day of Carolyn's body was found, despite the fact that most of the neighborhood was standing outside. Not only that, but DNA testing showed that David couldn't possibly have been the source of semen found on Carolyn. He had a completely different blood type. 
and the shoe print left outside the window did not match any of his shoes. Undeterred by their lack of concrete evidence, the case proceeded. On February 3rd, 1985, under the advice of his lawyers who thought the heinous nature of the crime might sway the jury, David Vasquez entered an Alford plea and was sentenced to 35 years behind bars. While he sat in a prison cell and the detectives congratulated themselves on a job well done, an eerily similar murder took place not far from where Carolyn Ham lost her life. On December 1st, 1987, 44-year-old Susan Ann Tucker was raped and strangled to death with a noose made of a thin white nylon cord, much like the one used to bind Carolyn's hands. An Arlington County detective named Joe Horgas was assigned to the case along with Detective Robert Carrig, who, noting the similarities, realized that it couldn't be a coincidence. However, instead of assuming that David was innocent and that they had made a mistake, the detectives worked with the theory that he had an accomplice when he murdered Carolyn, who was, after David was placed in prison, now working on his own. Joe arranged a meeting with David in the company of his lawyers and offered him a new deal. If he would help him identify his co-conspirator, he could go free in a few years. However, David Vasquez, who had since been asserting his innocence, did not take the bait. On September 19, 1987, 35-year-old Debbie Dudley Davis was found dead in her South Richmond apartment, lying naked on her bed, bound, strangled to death with a ligature and a ratchet-type device, and raped prior to her murder. On October 2nd, 32-year-old Susan Elizabeth Hellams was killed in her Richmond home, body discovered by her husband, partially clothed and lying on the floor of their bedroom closet. Her attacker had come through the second-story window and, just like the others, she had been raped and strangled with two belts that were left around her neck. About a month later, 15-year-old high school freshman Diane Cho was killed in the apartment she shared with her parents. She, like the other women, was raped and strangled to death. In addition to these murders, at least 10 other women in Arlington and Alexandria had survived rapes committed by a masked man carrying a nylon cord and armed with a knife. The final victim, 44-year-old Susan Tucker, was raped and murdered on or around November 27, 1987. However, her body was not found until December 1st. It appeared that, even with David safely behind bars, the Southside Strangler was free to commit unspeakable acts against unsuspecting women. Working with a whole new suspect and still unsure of how it was connected to David Vasquez, if it was at all, September 1987 brought the widely reported new forensic technology known as DNA fingerprinting, which had, as of recently, helped with the arrest of Colin Pitchfork in England. Hoping this could help with the Southside Strangler case, investigators collected the semen found at each of the scenes and Joe Horgas contacted a New York lab known as Life Codes to see if they could help out. Life Codes, who had been doing DNA paternity testing, said that if there was enough DNA in the semen, they could link it to a particular suspect, but would have to obtain the DNA from any and all suspects to compare it to. So Joe Horgas went to work. Realizing the strange gap between Carolyn's murder and the others could mean the killer was serving time in prison, Joe started looking through old criminal records to see if any of the men behind bars at the time fit the criteria. And sure enough, one name came up in his search. 
Timothy Wilson Spencer, a man who had been arrested on January 29th, 1984 for burglary and was released to a halfway home on September 4th, 1987, just 15 days before Debbie Davis's murder. After voluntarily providing blood samples, the DNA was compared and matched with the semen found at all of the crime scenes. 25-year-old Timothy Wilson Spencer was arrested on January 20th, 1988 and charged with the murder of Debbie Davis, Susan Hellams, and Diane Cho. He was brought to trial on July 11th, 1988 for the murder of Susan Tucker and was convicted and sentenced to death for the crime, making his the first case in Virginia history in which DNA was successfully used to prove the offender's identity. A few months later, he was convicted again with his DNA for the murder of Debbie Davis and again in January of 1989 for the murder of Susan Hellum. Realizing that he may have been involved in more cases than they realized, police placed a sample into the system and compared it with various cold, open, and closed cases, which is when, once and for all, they realized that David Vasquez was an innocent man. He was granted an unconditional pardon on January 4th, 1989, after serving five years behind bars and became the first American to be exonerated on the basis of exculpatory DNA evidence. Despite knowing he was the man responsible, Timothy was never charged for Carolyn Ham's murder. He was executed on April 27th, 1994. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to what terrible thing happened on January 21st. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.